This is Bucks and Bolts with Casey Hudson. What's up, hockey fans? Welcome to Pucks and Bolts, an Odyssey original podcast analyzing the Tampa Bay Lightning in their quest to further cement this team as a dynasty and Tampa Bay as a hockey town. Pucks and Bolts will bring you in-depth insight of games and practices and storylines of your favorite players and coaches multiple times a week. So download the Odyssey app, search Pucks and Bolts, and stay up to date on all things Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm your host, Katesy Hudson, joined again by Henry Yoho. Henry, what's going on? Hey, Case, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, just uh, watching the playoff hockey, of course, every night. So, right. Exciting time. Minute. Last time we talked, we were sitting here going over everything, heading into round one of playoffs, the whole conversation of Tampa Bay, whole conversation of Toronto. How surprised were you on a scale of one to 10 of how the, how the season ended, what the ending became for the Tampa Bay Lightning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, ultimately it was probably a disappointment. I think Julian Breezewell said it best anytime that you're expecting to win the whole thing and you don't do it, you know, it's obviously a disappointment, especially when you go out in round one. But, you know, I, I found it pretty surprising. It seemed to be the opposite of last year's series, where last year it seemed like Toronto was the better team for a lot of the series and the Lightning came out on top. And this year it kind of seemed the opposite, where the Lightning were better for a lot of the stretches of the series, but ultimately didn't, you know, get those breaks along the way and, and ended up going out in round one. So I, I just, it was just surprising how it almost seemed the exact opposite uh, of last year's series. Um, you know, I don't know if, if you felt kind of similarly, I feel like that's kind of the way a lot of people felt it was just opposite day seemingly from last year. No, I think that's probably the best way to describe it and probably why it stings, I think a little bit mm-hmm. more um, with it being such a role reversal situation. But what I'm excited to talk to you about is like, I'm, I'm seeing all these things on Twitter. I'm reading so many articles after that round one exit. And there's just a couple perspectives that I need some clarity on because I feel like I'm still in mourning over the season ending so early. Yeah. But yes, there were a lot of similarities, especially with, as you mentioned, like, you know, the better, like how the stretches that the Lightning had playing better hockey and not coming out with that W. But somebody even had the nerve to kind of write an article saying that the Maple Leaves were out for checking the Lightning and doing, you know, better management in the defensive zone than the Lightning. And we know that face-offs has obviously been a thing, but did you really think that the Toronto Maple Leafs stacked that high um, and deserve that much credit in outplaying the Lightning? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that there were definitely like some smaller aspects of the game that I think Toronto probably did better. But mm-hmm. overall, I, I still think that the Lightning probably had the better of the play for the most part. But I think Toronto did a better job of getting more uh, bodies in, in front of the net. You know, that was a big thing with Vasilevsky, those those high shots from out in the blue line, having so many uh, bodies in the way and making those shots so hard to see all the deflections and stuff that got in the way. And I think that they defended the, – Toronto defended the front of their net uh, better than the Lightning did because they weren't getting any of the point shots through. Uh, you know, I thought in game six, the the final goal that ended up being – the final goal of the season, the Stamkos rebound from the Darren Radish shot from out high, I think that was like the only shot of the whole series where that they or not of the whole series of that whole game that they got through from the blue line cleanly without getting blocked or anything. I, that was just the difference to me is I felt like Toronto did a better job of defending their, the front of their own net better and uh, getting in front of Vasilevsky. Uh, I thought that made the biggest difference to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with that statement. Um, and then of course, when it comes to the, the small details of the game, things that you kind of have to be more consistent in with tight matchups, 
I think you were probably one of the only people I saw tweeting about it the most, but their face off um, success or lack thereof or inconsistency. How much do you think that could have changed the the game or maybe changed some outcome of the series? Yeah, I I, I think it it could have definitely changed things. I I felt like Toronto scored a bunch of their goals directly off of offensive zone face-offs. You know, the biggest one, I guess, two came in game four, I guess it was the, uh, the tying, or it might have been game three. I can't remember. They call it kind of random. Game game two. Is it Tavares? Yeah. Like there was the one, the overtime winner that they got in game four. Yeah. It might have been three. They all, the <laughs> overtime winners, since they won it overtime, but they were coming directly off faceoffs and like shots from the blue line. And I thought that was making a huge difference. And that was kind of the thing was, it's Toronto's like rolling like three centers, like real deep, real high end centers, Matthews, Tavares, O'Reilly. Like, uh, you probably won't find a better trio of, of center Iceman. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that the faceoffs were making a big difference in the series just because Toronto was getting a lot of success from winning draws in their offensive zone and creating the offense directly from it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that they were fairly consistent with. And what's funny, because last year in this series matchup, Toronto won in the faceoff circle every single game. And yet it still somehow swung in favor of the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's where that whole rule reversal brings a lot of question marks. But of course, another topic of conversation after round one closed up was a lot of praise for what the Toronto Maple Leafs did at the trade deadline. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, anybody that tracks hockey enough knows the impact that Ryan O'Reilly has on any team, uh, the leadership that he brings into the locker room, regardless of the vets among him. Um, do you think that that's something that's probably weighing on the lightning a little bit? They tried, some media members tried to kind of get that answer after the game. Of course, timing is everything. And Julian Brisbois kind of still kind of skirted around that in the exit press conference. Um, do you think that's something that's probably a lingering wound at this point? Yeah, for sure. Because I think that the trade deadline uh, acquisitions that Toronto made were they've all been dynamite for them. Like bringing on O'Reilly, like you mentioned, was huge. Um, and, and Luke Shen as well. Two guys yeah. who've, who've won championships in the past for this group of these forwards who's had a, the main like group that they've had. have had a lot of trauma in the playoffs, a lot of things not going their way. And having two guys like that who have kind of been through it and say like, you know, we're, we're all right. You know, I thought that made a huge difference for them. And yeah. they were able to make more additions because they had more assets at hand than the Lightning did. Their hands were a bit more tied and the Lightning weren't able to make as big of a moves as they were able to make. And um, I can't say enough about the acquisitions that they made. It, I think it was a huge difference maker. Yeah, and probably kind of a breath of fresh air. Sometimes teams that find themselves in this stalemate of success and they can't really get to that next level or next chapter, those fresh perspectives help a lot. Um, and you're right to bring up Luke Shin. I mean, to be a part of a championship caliber team, we know that the motto of the Lightning to say even kill, not get too high, not get too low. Uh, a lot of these players that developed with the Tampa Bay Lightning know how to kind of continue to bring that kind of um, success and, and mindset into new locker rooms with them. With that said, um, even though the Bolts didn't really do anything major at the trade deadline, obviously, the biggest conversation was around Tanner Janot. And unfortunately, when the Lightning exited round one in game six, there was a lot of tweets uh, kind of chirping about the fact that Janot was this mistake. He wasn't able to be a large role in, in the first round, which I kind of have some opposing opinions to that. And then a lot of people are kind of taking that line switch up with Mikey Acemont getting tapped in and Janot getting scratched as like uh, they don't have this organization doesn't have faith in Janot. Do you still yeah. think that was kind of a, a steep move 
for a guy like Tanner Janot? And do you think that, you know, we didn't see enough out of him to make the move that was made? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, no, it was the way things ended. It, it certainly made the trade not look great at this mm -hmm. point in time, but you know, you know, it's easy to say that now in hindsight, but of course people thought it was a steep price then. And it obviously was. And I think that everyone would agree that it was probably an overpayment, but in order to get what you want to, to really go for it, sometimes you're going to have to overpay. And it was unfortunate that Jano ended up getting hurt towards the end of the regular season. Um, in the playoffs, I don't think he was able to be as effective as he would have liked to have been. Mm -hmm. It just didn't seem as mobile as, as, as he was expected to be. And Asimont became a preferred option over him just because I, Jano was just banged up. I think Isma had better legs and was more effective in that moment. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm not ready to declare it a, a total loss at this point, just because I think if the Lightning are able to re-sign uh, Jano now to a – I think he's in line for a pretty team-friendly value. And I think if they're able to do that and he's able to have an impact down the road, I think that they can certainly salvage some value. But I can understand people not having a very optimistic look at it at this point, because so far you haven't really been able to see really any sort of uh, benefits from it so far. Yeah. And I like how open-minded you are about that. You can understand where some of the panic comes from, from fans. And of course, you know, we're all feeling something that we haven't felt in three, four years time. So it's going to cut mm -hmm. a little deeper, but you make a great point to say that, you know, Tanner Janot could have this this contract restructure. Or he can come in at a lower price um, when they mm -hmm. start having those conversations this summer. But I can't get out of my head the fact that Coach Cooper, and he's said this amongst like three or four different new edition interviews, that it takes a guy about yep. 10 games, you know, to get situated. Yep. So the timing of everything, I feel, I personally feel like we started to see some good out of Tanner Janot. He's not just a, a physical presence on the ice. While that's a huge benefit to this Lightning roster, um, I think that we did see him create some momentum swings and help contribute to generating an offense. And I think that that would have picked up if he was on the healthier side of things. Do you feel like you saw enough out of Tanner Janot to think that he's going to be an asset? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that right before he got hurt, in that game against the Islanders, like he had scored um, maybe a game or two before that, his first goal with the Lightning, I thought that things were really starting to trend up, trend upwards with him. And uh, I was really liking where his game was at then. And so it was just really unfortunate that the injury kind of disturbed all the momentum that they had going. But I think with a whole season under his belt, um, you know, next year, a whole training camp with this group and everything, I think that he can certainly be uh, a lot more effective. And his next contract's gonna be pretty interesting. Uh, because I, I think that he'll be in line to have a pretty good value for this team going forward. Right. And uh, speaking of other new additions, when we saw that Mikey Acemont was getting the draw in and he made an immediate impact um, playing with Ross Colton and Nick Paul. Now, I'll say this. Since the minute that he hit the ice with the team before he kind of started getting laid off and scratched, I saw a lot of great things out of Mikey Acemont. Obviously, in his um, – his onboarding, if you would call it that, press conference, he said that he has speed that can be utilized in this roster and beneficial to this team. I think that having that option of Mikey Asimov's speed, I think one of my other favorite things about him is that he's not the kind of guy who's taking that extra pass or overthinking the shot. And I think this team kind of needs that as a motivator. Um, and then what just kind of backs that up is that he gets that goal on Samson off and he tells the press conference after, you know, I've been working on this. Um, Samson off's a hard goalie to go against. Sometimes you just got to take that shot and get crafty. What do you think you're going to see out of Mikey Asimov in this system? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I liked I liked what I saw from him in playoffs. Um, I thought whenever he came in in Game Five, it was a big boost of energy. I thought that he was moving around well. He he skates well. He's I think that uh, you know a lot of people like his his analytics. You know his his game kind of trends in the right direction. He's he's hasn't been a great like finisher so far mm-hmm. at the NHL level to see a lot of like the points and stuff back up sort of what a lot of people believe in him. But I, I, I've liked uh, what I've seen so far, and I think that, you know, as a unrestricted free agent, I don't think that he's going to be in line for, for a whole lot of money this year. Mm-hmm. So I think that the Lightning, again, will probably find good value in um, in, in him in addition to Janelle. So I, I like what I saw, and I think that he's definitely got a future here for sure. Now, kind of talking along the lines of contracts, and we've brushed on the new additions for the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, we definitely have to get into the big – more so off-season conversation. The guys had their lightning uh, exit press conferences on Tuesday. We got some interesting information. Of course, the biggest thing that we have to talk about is the conversation around Alex Kalorn. Um, I'm sure you probably saw most of the quotes mm-hmm. from that press conference and the unknown of what can be done in order to keep him in Tampa Bay, regardless of how bad him and his teammates want him to remain here. What do you think are the chances or percentage or scale of one to 10 that Alex Kalorn could be retained and stay in a Tampa Bay Lightning jersey? Yeah, um, I was thinking about this a lot yesterday. And I think the, the biggest thing that kind of further complicates it is that Ross Colton will also be in line for another contract as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't see how that they can keep both of them at the same time. So for me, it's going to come down to maybe one or the other. And there might even be a scenario where neither of them are back here, but uh, Kaloran, you know, he's expressed his desire to want to play here, you know, until he retires. And that's going to be really put to the test in my eyes, just because I think that he could probably get a lot more money um, on the open market than he would be able to get here. So as far as uh, my confidence level, I, I would say, I'd, I think I'd have it like a, a four out of 10 that Kalorn comes back. I, I, I just don't really see it being possible unless he's willing to take some significant uh, sort of pay cut. Yeah. And that's the hard part as I've been processing that exit meeting heading into it. Um, I hopped on and talked with Pat and Aaron on their show and they were asking, mm-hmm. you know, what do I think about Alex Kalorn? And I'm, I, I confidently in that time <laughs> thought to myself, okay, it's not all about the money for a guy like Alex Kalorn. He's obviously yeah smart guy we know that he knows how to pace himself make the right investments kind of you know create a a, a wealth for for himself outside of hockey um but then i got to that press conference and after julian brisebaugh spoke and before alex florence spoke i think it was actually victor hedman there was a lot of emotion it just felt very heavy as if there was already conversations taking place that that was mm-hmm. their last moment or their last game with alex Kalorn. so I think I agree. I didn't realize exactly how significant of a pay cut he would have to take in order to stay in Tampa Bay. And yeah. that's what makes it hard. Like you can be smart and you can be not all about the money, but in the same sense there, if you have to take such an overly exaggerated pay cut, that's not going to benefit anybody. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, his last contract, I, I have it here. He was at 4.45 million. Uh, the lighting definitely can't go to that again. Mm-hmm. And after having two career seasons in a row, uh, I think that he would be in line for a raise on top of that. And I, I don't think the Lightning would be probably willing to go above, um, you know, maybe $3 million or so. And I, I honestly think it might be somewhat uh, financially irresponsible of him if he, if he wanted to take something super low. 
yeah. uh, just to stay here because, you know, he's 33 years old. Um, you know, you don't have too many contracts left. So I think that he, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen, honestly. Yeah, he's kind of got to make the move on the chessboard while it still makes sense, rather than seeing what kind of comes down the gauntlet at a later age, um, even though some guys are playing so late in the game. And I think hockey is one of mm -hmm. the unique sports where guys do play very late in their game. Um, you do have to be strategic about it, which brings me to Corey Perry and Pierre-Edouard Bellamar. Um, Corey Perry said basically more so clear as day that he would love to stay with Tampa, um, that he thinks that this locker room still has a great chance at going to the cup and, and lifting it one more time. And he wants to be a part of that. Whereas of course, Bellamar, who has just a very unique and fresh perspective on life was like, it is what mm -hmm. it is. I love this group, but I just want to keep playing in general. What do you think the futures may reside with either one of these guys with the Tampa Bay lightning? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think for Perry first, I think that if he's willing to to come back here and do it again, I think that the Lightning would be more than willing to to offer him another deal, another year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially because like his last his last deal was a million dollars. I think that he would take that again, or maybe even less. I think that'd be another great value for a veteran forward. Um, so I think if he's willing to take that, I think the Lightning would gladly give it to him. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as Belmar goes, um, he would be in the same boat as far as the same money and, and term as Perry would be. I I just don't know if I really see him coming back just because I feel like there's probably a, a time now to have some, some new faces sort of in the bottom six. And um, I, I think that they'll probably elect to move on from him. Uh, considering his age, uh, th he's 38 right now. So mm -hmm. I, I think that they would probably like to get a little bit younger, and a little bit faster in the bottom six. So if I had to, to say right now, I think it's a bit more likely that Perry comes back uh, before Belmar does. Yeah, I would say so too, especially because we know that Belmar has been through a lot this season in mm -hmm. particular, and he's very transparent about that. But as for Corey Perry and his consistency, um, he was able to start picking things up that second half of the season, even though I think he went through like a 20 game drought yeah. for a minute, but still, I mean, he opened up playoffs on a strong note. I think he's just showing a little bit more buzz and you mentioned the bottom six getting a little faster and getting a little bit younger. Um, if you if you recall, what did you think of Janot being on that fourth line and if he was a bit of an uplifter and if that could be a potential role for him? Yeah, no, I, I certainly think that's an option. I think that they had uh, slid Janot down to the fourth line for a while. I think that's sort of when his game started to trend upwards. Mm -hmm. And I think that that would be a, a welcomed face uh, to a bottom six. Uh, or the fourth line, like I think Asimont as well provides a speed option that the Lightning would have. So I think that right there, there's there's two good options to have on a fourth line that would probably uh, complement Maroon for sure mm -hmm. and uh, Perry if he comes back. So I, I think either one of those prov would provide a, a decent option as a starting point with the guys that they already have on deck. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of focusing on the future of this team as we kind of get a picture of what guys we know might be safe when it comes to this summer's conversations of uh, either trades or contracts and so on and so forth. Um, Vasilevsky was a little bit more transparent to the best of his ability mm -hmm. during his exit presser, ma managing to tell us that he was working through numerous small uh, injuries and he really felt them all hit at the same time after game 35 of the season. Um, yeah. Of course, people think it's an excuse or every NHL player is working through things, but how much do you credit Vasilevsky to say, I think that 
you know, he was probably working through some things. He looked in rare form halfway through the season, or do you think that he is just a workhorse who holds himself to an extremely high standard? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think he is like, obviously, like you said, the big, the big horse back there because of the amount of workload that he takes on as much as anybody in the NHL these days, because the days of goalies playing 60 plus games are, are over and he's really among the league leaders in games played. So I think even him being able to admit that, you know, his um, like his mind and body weren't on the same page just because of all the, the mileage and the deep playoff runs in past years and getting as many starts as he does in the regular season. Mm-hmm. I think it sort of started to pile up a bit on him and you saw him, you know, not at his absolute best in playoffs. So I think that you'll continue to see maybe his regular season starts um, start to come down a little bit and having a longer summer now will certainly help with that. And, um, but, you know, like we mentioned, like they'll have a few other players to resign, but one priority is going to have to be signing a, uh, a goalie as well, whether they want to bring somebody up from the American league or not, they're still going to have to commit, you know, probably a million or so dollars to defining a new goaltender mm-hmm. and finding somebody that could probably take on more starts than a backup goaltender has here in the past few years. I think that's going to be certainly something to consider for sure. Absolutely. You said way into that so perfectly because that was about yeah. to be my next question. You know, Vasilevsky is one of the top goaltenders in time between the pipes. And I found that so surprising heading into playoffs because while everybody's raving about the save percentage of Allmark and Samsonov and Shosturkin yeah. and Sorokin, they none of those guys touched 50 games. Where you've got Vasilevsky, who I think at the point that I was researching that was at 53 games and almost, mm-hmm. you know, 600 plus saves more than any of these guys. So I don't think it's comparable if you're not spending as much time on the ice, but you hit a good point there that they're going to probably have to focus on picking up a goaltender. And I've kind of noticed a trend of them going for these veteran goaltenders. You know, yeah. we had Chris McElhaney, we had Brian Elliott, and while they've both had their moments, um, do you think it's just time to, to change the page and kind of get a younger guy in there that could be, either a potential successor or somebody who can evenly share the workload with Bassey. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they're certainly trending towards probably not an even split just yet, but certainly trying to decrease the amount of games that Bassey's going to play. Um, I, I think a younger option is probably on the horizon. Um, Hugo Alnafelt this past year in Syracuse was pretty impressive. Yeah. And I think that he's going to be an option. I don't know if they're going to want to go to that right out of the gate uh, to start the season. So I would not be surprised if they bring in another one of these older veteran goaltenders, um, somebody that's going to be on a on a cheaper deal. Uh, I don't think they'd want to spend much more than a million and some change on a on a backup goaltender. But mm-hmm. I, I I would probably expect them to bring in a veteran with Alnafelt kind of lurking as a uh, a younger option sort of down the road. I don't know if they'll be ready to go to him at the start of the season, but it's something to keep an eye on. And as for another guy who's very meticulous, standards are high, and he doesn't give himself much credit for a lot of the work that he puts in, is Mikhail Sergachev and his exit Mm -hmm. meeting. He was kind of very seldom to the fact of the response and what he thought about his season, and he immediately opened up by saying he thought he could have done better. He had his moments. Now, we did see some crucial turnovers in the D zone off of his stick, and obviously, you know, we love a guy that takes accountability for things like that, but it was also a career high season and he never mentioned that once. Um, do you think we're going to see a whole nother level out of Mikhail Sergachev with him having such a high standard over himself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think so. I thought this season um, certainly had some of the biggest highs so mm-hmm. far of his career, especially the offensive output 
was was really impressive. Uh, him stepping into the top power play unit certainly helped with that. Um, and like you mentioned, there were, there were obviously some moments that that make you shake your head sometimes with the turnovers. And he had a you know a critical one that ended up in Toronto's uh, first goal of of Game Six. Um, but I think that he's a top end player, and you're gonna have to live with some of those moments sometimes because the uh, the high end moments are are that good. And in that next year with his uh, with his extension kicking in and him getting a raise, gonna be getting paid more than Hedman. Uh, I think that's just all the reason more to have even higher expectations for him him now going forward as uh, Hedman gets a little older and might be taking on a few a, f- a few fewer minutes. Um, and if you're going to see Sergachev on the top power play, I think that you're going to have to continue to want to expect more from him. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, Victor Hedman is also somebody who wasn't too impressed with his season this year. And we obviously yeah. know why there are certain numbers that he's been consistent hitting. He kind of ended up downfalling um, after that injury he got on the West Coast tour in the early in the season. And then, of course, he had that hip impingement that we just found out about um, towards the end of the season and heading into playoffs or collecting that more so in playoffs. Uh, are you thinking that we're going to start seeing a little role change here where Mikhail Sergachev starts to take over more time and Hedman starts to dial things back a little bit, even though now he himself is going to also have a full season to really concentrate and work on some things? Yeah, I think you'll, con- you'll continue seeing Sergeyev take on a bigger role. Um, but like you mentioned, like Hedman, I feel like he was just battling something the whole season, mm-hmm. it seemed. He, he never really seemed uh, fully like himself, um, you know, even picking up some some other injury as well in the playoff series. I thought that he still found a way to be really impactful. You know, I'd still want him at 75% over a lot of guys at 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I still I still love his game. I think that a, a big summer, uh, a longer summer will be big for him. Um, you know, he playing 25 plus minutes a night as many times as he did in playoff runs, it takes a toll on you. And, you know, I thought this season kind of caught up with him a bit. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, a longer summer will certainly be beneficial for him because um, n- no one's eating as many minutes as he has over the last uh, four years or so. Right. And performing at the level that he performs at. You said something so perfect at taking him at 75% over anyone else. And it's so valid because he doesn't get the credit that he has gotten over the years if he wasn't such an impactful defensive player who's battled through mm-hmm. so much. But even though you've got a unique unicorn like Victor Hedman and seeing him closer to 100% is going to be significant. You got Mikhail Sergachev, who has a great standard upon himself, who can step further into a bigger role. Eric Chernak, even though he ended up being out, he's one of those guys that yeah those big extensions what does this defensive group look like moving forward in your eyes um because they didn't make that move at the trade deadline because there's no guy of ryan of uh, mcdonough's caliber back there um you know what's going to happen when it comes down to flurry what do you think is a better fit to set this team up for success defensively in the next season mm-hmm. yeah well i think the defense group was probably the thing that most people looked like looked at as like probably the most glaring weakness of this team compared to the teams from years past. Uh, like you mentioned, McDonough was a huge loss. Uh, so was Jan Ruda as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, those those were two two guys you could really rely on. And I think that they kind of turned the page to, to younger faces, as we saw Nick Perbix taking on a huge role this year, Darren Radish stepping in also. Um, I think that for the most part, the guys that they have on the D are going to be staying because mm-hmm. a lot of guys like – like Hayden Fleury is on a pretty good value contract. So is Zach Bogosian. Yeah. Uh, I really don't see those guys going anywhere. The only defenseman that's that's a free agent this summer is Ian Cole. 
and I'm not really sure that they bring him back. Uh, if they do, it definitely won't be at the $3 million he was making this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a there's not a whole lot of money to go around, but I think that the Lightning would ideally like to look into some sort of a vet, veteran free agent, just just maybe try to bring in one new defenseman somewhere, like like that they kind of thought that they were getting with Ian Cole last year. Yeah. I, I would be very surprised if we go through this summer and there's not at least one defenseman brought into this group. That would that would be very surprising to me. Yeah, me too. And that's something that I was hoping that Julian would uh, allude to. But, of course, we know he's probably one of the best guys at keeping secrets in the league. Um, uh, we did see some great things out of Pervix and Radish. And to see these guys probably get longer – training camp and training with the lightning in particular, I feel like they are fully capable of taking things to the next level because they took on a huge role in this playoff and each of them made an impact. The points that they picked up, the goals, um, Nick Perbix, Aaron Radish, both of them. So we'll see what's in play when it comes to the defense, but the next looming conversation for this team after having an early ending, uh, something that everybody is still mourning is the fact that this team is, been dubbed probably the best development organization out there. There's no not talking about what Yanni Gord's doing, what Andre Pilat's doing, what Carter Verhage's doing, and you know the list kind of goes a little bit on and on. Um, are you watching these guys? Are you thinking that everyone's sitting here crying over them still not being in a Lightning jersey? What's the playoff experience been for you? Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I, I, I was thinking yes, yesterday, I think I realized that you could build a pretty good uh, foundation of a team based on just the guys that this group has drafted and developed and had to lose um, some really good pieces that you can build a team around. And, you know, it just speaks to how well this organization has, has drafted and developed players that have been able to uh, to step in at the NHL level and have been able to take on uh, even increased roles on other teams. And so it, it's just an unfortunate reality that, you know, it's kind of the, pay, the, the price you have to pay for drafting and developing so well and mm-hmm. having such high quality players come out of your organization is that you're going to end up having to lose some because you're not able to uh to keep as many guys as you want because of the salary cap and guys are able to earn more elsewhere so it, it is just an unfortunate reality of almost being as good as the lightning organization has been as uh developing their own players yeah are there any former lightning players that you're cheering for in particular uh, i mean how could you not cheer for uh andre Pilat and yanni gord you know, those, those guys are the heartbeat of a team. You know, I, I think it's been pretty cool to see Yanni Gord because he was, a you know, kind of a third line type guy. A, he was more of a role player and in Seattle. Yeah. When he came into Seattle, he was kind of like the almost like the number one guy. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of crazy. Like he was playing number one center. He was wearing uh, the A as an alternate captain on the team and seeing him taking on a huge role after being kind of a, a depth player and a, and a role kind of guy here. It, it's been really cool for me to see him become sort of the main man in Seattle. I, I've really enjoyed seeing that. And I think that uh, the fan base there certainly uh, has grown to love him for the same reasons that a lot of the, the people here sort of got attached to him as well. Oh yeah. you can tell that the people here are still so, so attached to Yanni Gordon. That's probably the toughest breakup that we've experienced, but then it's cool too, because he gets the overtime winner the other night. Andre Pilat Mm -hmm. is the one who really helped the Devils move into round two. Uh, So even though they didn't have a great first showing, you're still seeing why these guys were such assets to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then of course the big conversation with the Lightning being out so early and just the, I guess the illuminating fact that Leafs fans are a lot 
I know that they call themselves dedicated, the best fans in hockey, but I'm just going to slightly disagree and say they are a lot. Are you rooting as heavily against the Leaves as almost every other Tampa Bay Lightning fan is? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would maybe say that I hope that they don't win. But mm-hmm. I, I'll have to concede that it is pretty exciting to see one of the uh, the league's most historic teams, biggest fan bases, the crazy following. I think it is, I'll admit it is kind of exciting to see them having uh, some success that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I guess I would, I would prefer if they didn't win. But I, I do, I will concede that it is rather exciting to see uh, one of the league's most valuable teams making a run and seeing something that, you know, we haven't seen really in any any recent times. And this playoffs, uh, as far as things go now, I think it's as wide open as, as I've ever seen it. I know. That makes you such a true hockey guy, to be able to see that perspective, because I still can't see past the fans, that the, the fact that their fans were just so irritating to me. But yeah. I do actually respect, you know, any barriers that can be broken in that sense. And, of course, there's players that are so lovable on that team. But does that mean that you would root for the Panthers? A guy made a great point on Twitter (laughs) saying that, Bolts fans, you cannot root for the Panthers right now because I guess the Panthers owner was the guy who tried to stop the Tampa Bay Lightning organization from opening before the the Panthers organization did. Not that I would ever look that far into anything, but – you know, I think a lot of Bolts fans just don't want to see Toronto move past that second round. Do you think it's obscene to cheer for your rivals just to keep Toronto out of it? Um, yeah, no, it, it's a real interesting predicament for the uh, the fan base here because most people wouldn't want their uh, their cross state rivals to go through, and I, people probably feel stronger about seeing the team that they just lost to go through. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think for the fans, it's a lose lose situation. Um, but I, I think if if it, if push came to shove, I think more people are probably going to root for Florida. But uh, if you know if people are holding the grudge all the way back to the uh, the original starting days, I think that's a pretty valid reason as well. But um, for myself personally, you know, I I don't think it really makes a difference to me. I'm rooting mm-hmm. for whoever's going to give us the uh, the most excitement and the best storylines. Yep. So uh, you know, I'm just I'm just enjoying what I've seen so far. I hope it goes uh, seven games. Oh my gosh, so do I. So speaking of seven games, before we wrap up here, your predictions for the two teams that will be contesting for the Cup in June. Yeah, I was so committed to the – I was thinking that the Toronto-Edmonton All-Canadian Final was going to be a real thing. Oh my gosh. And now after both – and after both of those teams lost their first games, I'm kind of thinking um, maybe maybe not. Um, (laughs) But I think – it's really hard to say. I, I think that I would stick with it. I think Edmonton and Toronto is the most likely outcome. I would take Edmonton's chances probably more than Toronto's uh, mm-hmm. at this point in time, just because I, I think that Edmonton has probably the highest possible ceiling because they've got the two best players. Sure. So if I had to say right now, that's probably what I would stick with. It might change. Um, but I think that's what I would go with at the moment. What, what about you? I have gone back and forth on this a lot, especially because those first games kind of threw me for a loop. Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't count out the Dallas Stars to just somehow sneak in there because their goaltending is actually quite strong when it comes down to the thick of it. Um, And then once you get, you know, Robertson, Sagan, all those guys involved, and now Polinsky, who just went off the other night, I think if everyone gets on the same page, they can become dangerous. That's that's a team that I would say too. Yeah, now they're making it look like any guys that put up four goals in one game just kind of like haunted themselves or counted themselves out. So if I had to 
push game ones aside, what I was thinking ahead of time was Dallas Stars. And I don't know why, but like the Hurricanes might be a dark horse that just aren't talked about enough. I think that they're yeah. very coached, even though they're plagued by injuries. Uh, Rod Brindamore is just such a fantastic coach. He's a player's coach, too. So he knows how to kind mm-hmm. of craft guys like a John Cooper does. Um, but I don't know if that would be entertaining. Stars and Canes. It's just no, I, no, I totally agree. And for me, I, I'm just I'm a hater. I feel like I, I'm just not a believer in Carolina. I, I just I just don't. They just don't do anything for me just because mm-hmm. I feel like they don't have like the real star players up front to really score enough. Yeah. But they defend incredibly well, and coaching is a big thing there. Yeah. And I, 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 I've just not been a believer. But until until I see them go out, you know, I think that they're a real serious contender. But I would agree that probably Dallas and Carolina would not be the most interesting. No. But um, I, Dallas is compelling to me, though, for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing like Dallas and and if I had to say it, the Leafs. Um, yeah. I don't know if the Panthers can really kind of press or physical, put that physical element all the all the way to the end. That would be surprising if they make it out of this round um, without a seven game fashion and just getting past the Leafs, who just tend to have it all right now. But no, I don't want to see the Stars in Carolina. But that's just kind of where we're leaning. But at least we still have some exciting hockey. As always, Henry, thank you so much for joining me. I love being able to chat with you and pick your brain this season. If people don't follow Henry Yoho, do so right now because I always said you do the best tweets. DeAndre says the same thing too. You just bring a lot of personality to a sport that people are starting to discover on the level that it deserves to be discovered on. So, um, of course, hopefully I'll see you a little bit throughout the off season, and then, you know, we gear up for next year. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's uh... – this was an awesome season and uh, it was, it was fun, um, you know, meeting you and all the uh, people and the experiences I got to have. So I'm excited to see what the future has and, you know, get to enjoy the summertime now too. I know real off season up and coming, but guys, if you want to keep bases on all things, Tampa Bay lightning, kind of get a review of the season, check out the awards that we passed out and so much more. Be sure to download the Odyssey app, search Pucks and Bolts, hit that auto download button, stay up to date on all previous and brand new episodes as we get ready to head into the off season. As always, I'm Casey Hudson joined by Henry Hoho. And thank you so much for joining us here at Pucks and Bolts. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company.